It deserves for us to abandon our lives and say, yes, I will be your disciple. Yes, I will be your learner. Yes, I will follow you. That's what he deserves from us. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. There's no leader without at least one follower, and that should seem obvious to us. S.I. McMillan in his book, None of These Diseases, tells the story of a young woman who applied to a prestigious university. And uh, she was excited to go there, but when she was filling out her application, her heart fell when she read this question that she had to answer, are you a leader? And uh, being uh, a conscientious, honest young lady, she had to write no. And so she really didn't think she would get accepted, So, but she got a letter of acceptance a little bit later, and it said, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveal that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it's imperative that we have at least one follower. So... <laughs> One of the leadership quips that is always uh, spoken to my heart, I find relevant, it's if you think you are a leader and you turn around and no one's behind you, then you are just out for a walk. Seems like everyone wants followers these days. In fact, if you go out and Google developing followers, you'll find article after article on how to have a thousand followers on Instagram and Facebook and other social media platforms. I found an 11 tips on getting followers, a 12 tip, an 18 tip, a 23 tip article on how to gain followers. And, uh, and one article was 101 guide to increase your followers on Twitter. Um, but before the advent of social media, there was one who actually came looking for followers. A different kind of follower than the followers we would find out there, you know, following after a, a, a social media influencer. He came along as the consummate leader and he said, come and follow, follow me. So this morning, I would like to talk a few minutes of what it means to follow Jesus. What it looks like being a follower of Jesus. It's, it's quite a bit different than the things we talk about today. You might think that the first followers of Jesus were, you know, took the name Christian for themselves, but they didn't. That was a derogatory name given to us by, uh, by others. It was meant to mock us, saying that we were little Christ or little Messiahs. It's only found three times in our Bibles. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says we were first referred to as Christians in Antioch. But the word that's used, the follower of Jesus, that we find most in our Bible, is the word disciple. We find it some 270 times. And a disciple literally means a learner. It means someone uh, who is following Jesus for the purpose of learning from him, from him. It's a much better description of what it means to be a follower uh, of Jesus. And I think it, in fact, exposes, if you would, that many who claim the title Christians or Christian are really not disciples because they have no desire to learn from Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at the early ministry of Jesus. He's just starting out, and he's going to call some men to follow him. 
And I want to look at that encounter, and I want to show you some things that, that I believe from, from, that, from that little story, some things that would apply to us as followers of Jesus. But first, the context. This is a story that we find in Mark and Matthew. It's very, very similar in both of those Gospels. Luke records a similar story to this, but at the same time, very different. It has a different, it has the same ending as these stories where Jesus calls Matthew, I mean, John and, and James and Andrew and Simon to follow him and he'll make them fishers of men. But everything kind of before that is a bit different. So trying to harmonize those two stories, I'm, I'm of the opinion that they're probably not the same event. But they could be the same event, and Luke is just, I mean, Matthew and Mark are just kind of summarizing the event. That Luke's account is the one where he catches all the fish, and Peter says, get away from me, you know, I'm a sinful man. Uh, Luke says all that. Matthew, as you'll see in just a moment, does not say that. I actually think this is the next day after that event that Luke records on the boat. I think this is the next day, but, but again, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's what we find in this account that I think speaks to us. So let's read it. It's Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 18 and read only, uh, I think it's four verses, 18 through 22. As he, that would be Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea, and they were, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. And they were in a boat with Zebedee their father, preparing their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Here are the truths this morning that I want to use to encourage us and energize us as followers of the Lord Jesus. So, when Jesus calls these four men, Peter and Andrew, brothers James and John, here's the first thing I want you to note. He called ordinary, everyday kind of people like me and you. Now, maybe, maybe you're not quite as ordinary as me, but I'm ordinary, right? And uh, he called ordinary people. He was walking along the, the sea, and he calls these two sets of brothers that were fishermen. They were just casting their nets in the sea fishing, or they were getting ready to. They were ordinary men. A little bit of historical context for us. You may already know all this, but all Hebrew boys went to Torah school uh, starting at the age of five to the age of ten. And all these young boys up to that point, they studied the Torah, and the best of those students went on to study the rest of the Old Testament. At ten years old, those that weren't doing so well at Torah, they went back to their families to, to work in the family business. At the age of 17, a young Jewish man, if he wanted to make a career out of religious studies, this is what he did. He searched out there for a rabbi that he could follow. And, uh, and he would decide, this is the guy that I want to apprentice under. And so he would study up and he would go to visit that rabbi. And he would say, I want to be one of your disciples. I want to be one of your Talmudim. I want to follow after you. Uh, that rabbi would then interview these people that came and applied to him, these young men that came and applied to him. And he would pick the best of these, the smartest of these boys to be his disciples because what he wanted was he wanted them to learn from him, but he also wanted them to be like him. So he would pick the best of these boys. Uh, for several years, then these young disciples, they would follow their rabbi, imitating everything that he did, learning from him. The goal of every young man who followed a rabbi was to be like his rabbi. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is this new rabbi on the scene, and he chooses Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were fishermen. So here's what that means. Jesus chose the second string. Jesus chose the guys that at 10 years old, hadn't made the cut. They weren't good enough to go on and study the rest of the Old Testament. They went back to their father's business, which was was fishing. He chose the B team. They weren't the best. They weren't the brightest. They were, here it is, they were average. They were just ordinary men. Let that sink in. Jesus chose ordinary men to launch his kingdom with. This rabbi didn't choose guys with lots of power and, and a lot of rabbinical understanding and potential. No, he, he just chose average guys like you and me. And here's, I think, the reason for that. The reason for that is he knew that if they were really talented, they would get in the way of God working through them. In other words, these guys, because they didn't have all that other stuff, what they did would be the power of the Spirit working through them. John MacArthur says this about those guys. He says, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary that it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Jesus just is me. Jesus just chose average, ordinary people like you and me. J.D. Greer said it, said it best, I think. He said this, people with lots of talent and ability would get in the way, uh, and they would never learn to lean on his power. Jesus taught that his power in the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent without him. God uses everyday people like you and me. So when he called those people, and I want you to understand this, when God is calling you, he's he's calling just average people because he knows that you can make a difference in your families. You can make a difference in your workplaces. Stop making excuses. Let's all, myself included, stop making excuses that we're not smart enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not trained enough to be used of God because it's really not about our ability. It's more about our availability to say, God, here I am. Use me. Somebody has said, and I've heard it many, many times, God doesn't call the equipped. He does what? He equips the called. So number one, he uses ordinary people. Here's the second thing I want you to note about this this calling of these early disciples, these first disciples, is he calls us, but we must be willing. Follow me, Jesus said to those men. Okay, He calls them, but they have got to be willing to follow him. Now, as I just mentioned a moment ago, the normal way this works is you went out and found your rabbi, and then you went and said, hey, can I follow you? Will you accept me? That's not how it works here. Jesus goes out and finds the guys that he wants to come and follow him. Guys that are not applying, guys that are not the cream of the crop, you know. He, uh, he's, he's choosing them. Jesus starts the process in reverse. They didn't come saying, hey, I want to sit at your feet. Let me sit at your feet. No, he says, come and follow me. And here's the deal, everyone. Jesus is coming seeking you and me. I really believe that with all my heart. Jesus is seeking after you and he's seeking after me. Ordinary people. And he's inviting us to come and say, come follow me as your rabbi. Come follow me as your king. Come follow me as your lead, right? He wants you. He desires you. I I believe I could look every one of you in the eye, face to face, and say, God wants you. 
God desires you. Text doesn't say this. This is now Jimmy, right? But Peter and Andrew, James and John, they didn't have to follow. They didn't have to follow. He's not compelling them. They could have said, no, thank you. Even Judas, who followed him for three years, said, no, thank you, and walked away. None of them had to start. In his letter to the disciples at Rome, Paul reminds them that the righteousness of God is given to people when they respond in faith to his call. As they met Jesus in the world, people respond to him in faith and they begin to follow him. But, but he says of others, he says they suppress the truth in their heart. Here's verse 18, chapter 1 of Rome, Romans. He says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's just now juxtaposing this with the people who respond in faith in 116. And now he's saying, but there's a lot of other people out there who suppress the truth, even though what can be known of God is evident among them because it's God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen in creation of the world being understood through what he has made as a result people are without excuse God says on many occasions hey listen come and follow me but I tell you everyone you have to respond to him you have to choose to follow him back and and listen I want to tell you something it is, it is not, it does not take any, it does not diminish the grace of God if you reject God's gift. Listen, if I offer you a gift and you reject it, it is not a reflection on my generosity. It is not a reflection on my grace or my goodness towards you. If you reject my gift, it's on you. It's a reflection on you. And that is true when it comes to God. God is calling you and saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to be one of my disciples. I want you to be part of my kingdom. You can reject him. It's not a reflection on him. It's a reflection on you. In his first message, Peter preaches these words from the prophet Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul tells the Roman disciples, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He ends that little passage by saying, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. At the end of Revelation, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the the bright morning star, both the Spirit and the bride say come. What that means is the Spirit that we sang about here, just that we listened just a moment ago, the Spirit is saying come, right? And the bride, that would be us, the church. We're saying come. Let anyone who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely come. Here's the point. Jesus says, come and follow me. And whoever is willing, you can come. The invite is clear, but you have to come. You have to respond. You have to be willing. I believe you are capable, but you have to be willing. Number three, our primary calling is to be with him. Follow me, he told them. He didn't tell them where they were going. Didn't tell them what their assignment was going to be. He simply said, hey, Come be with me. Come be where I am. Come follow after me. And, and, and that's what Jesus is calling all of us to do. He's calling us to come be with him. And why did he want these guys to be with him? Because he wanted them to learn from him. 
He wanted wanted them to see him in action. He wanted them to hear the words from his mouth as he taught them. He wanted them to learn how to serve. His goal in them joining him as their rabbi was that they would end up being like him. And by the way, Paul tells us that's the final goal, isn't it? That That we all be conformed to the image of Jesus. That he be like us, okay? I mean, excuse me, that we be like him, right? He wanted them to follow him so they could learn from him. They would learn his mannerisms. They would learn how to answer questions. They would learn how to respond when people responded negatively or harshly. They would watch him respond to sinful people and prideful religious people. He would watch all of that. Supposedly the highest, the highest compliment that you could get as a, as, as a student of a rabbi was this, wow, you're covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that meant was this, you know, so they they were all dusty roads then. And so the thought was, when the rabbi walks along in the dust, stirring it up, you're so close to him that you're getting the dust from his, you know, his walking in the dust. So that was a great compliment. Man, you're covered in the dust of your rabbi. Where you been, the rabbi, where are you going? The rabbi's dust is being sprayed all over you. Jesus' goal in asking you and me to follow him is that you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That's, that's his goal. He wants you to be like him. But let's just, let's be honest. It's different for you and me than it was for those four guys. And here's why. Here's the difference. I mean, they got to follow him physically. I mean, when he called them to follow him, what he meant was, where I am physically, you be with me. You know, you be right there. You listen to me. They could hear his voice. They could see him. They could watch his facial uh, inflections as he spoke. They could watch and hear the tone of his voice as he replied to everyone. They could follow his vocal instructions. You and I cannot. But Jesus, listen to this. Jesus actually said it's better for you and me than it was for them. That doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, I don't know. I struggle a little bit with that. I'd much rather trade places with them and be there physically. But Jesus told us it would be better for us after Jesus was gone. And you know why? He says, because I'm going to give you my spirit. And my spirit is going to be with you. And my spirit is going to teach you. And my spirit is going to help you. And my spirit is going to empower you. And my spirit is going to lead you. And my spirit is going to transform you to be like Jesus. So the question now is, how does that happen? Since I can't follow him physically and hear his voice, how does it happen that he changes? How does the spirit do this? Well, here's how it works. The Spirit inspired His first disciples to record for us the life of Jesus, His words, His actions, His attitudes in what we call the Bible or what we call His Word. He helped them remember everything that Jesus taught them and they wrote it down. And so today we have the words and life of Jesus written down for us. And and so This is how we follow Him. We follow Him by learning from Him in this book that He gave us. As we read about Him and learn to become like Him. Now listen, the same Spirit, the same Spirit that inspired book, right? That same Spirit dwells in each one of us. And that same Spirit has taken that inspired book and He's helping us learn from Jesus. He takes that book and He helps us learn from Jesus. He helps us, He transforms us into the image of Jesus. 
Now, just in case you're not following, I'm going to be really, really clear here, if you, if you missed it. To follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, requires that you know his word, that you know his book. Just like they had to make a choice to follow Jesus and be where Jesus was so they could hear his voice and watch him and learn from him, you have to make a choice to follow Jesus by allowing the word of God to richly dwell within you. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of the Messiah richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of God richly dwell within you. That's how you get to know Jesus. That's how you follow Jesus. You get to know him through his word as his spirit takes and teaches you. And in this particular context, Paul says, do that using music. Now, I don't know if that's an inspiration for your ministry, but, but that's what you guys do, right? You take the Word of God and put it to music, am I right? So that's what he's saying here. Listen, it's not just through the teaching and preaching like this or through other means. Man, music, music is a great way to allow the Word of God to get in us so that we get to know Jesus and He transforms us by His Spirit. Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And, and I believe the context there, how do we renew our mind? We renew our mind through the Word of God. So here's the question. Do you want to be covered in the dust of your rabbi? If your rabbi is Jesus, okay, and you want to be covered in his dust, you've got to allow his word to saturate your life. You've got to let it be in you, and you've got to let it transform your thinking and your behavior. And if it's not in you, it'll never do that. If the word of God is not in you, it'll never change your thinking. It'll never change your behavior. Even if it's in you, we're still going to fight with a nature that's going to want us to not submit to that. But it's not going to happen unless the word of God is in you. You need to, you need to have it in you. You need to think it, quote it. It needs to be such a part of your life that uh, there's, no, there's no separation between you and the word of God. You cannot know Jesus any more than you know His Word. The dust of the Savior is the Word of God, if you would, and it's got to be in you. Now, there's a pretty large contingency of Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus, who, who do that apart from the Bible. They call themselves progressive Christians. And the idea is that they progress past traditions and they've progressed past the commandments and the moral teaching of the Bible. And, and they know better because the one teaching of Jesus that we have to inculcate into our life is love one another. But they have rejected what the Bible says it means to love one another. They've rejected what God describes as love. They've rejected most everything else in the Bible except love one another. And the only way to define that is however I want to define that. Folks, I believe our progressive Christian brothers and sisters, assuming they trust in Christ, man, they're wrong. They're wrong. And I stand by this assertion, and I want you to understand this. Listen, you cannot follow Jesus apart from His Word. You cannot follow Jesus apart from the Spirit of God teaching you about Jesus, following Jesus through His Word. 
He's given us His Word to inspire us and to, to lead us. And you know what? You live in a place and in a country where you have oh, so many opportunities, so many outlets to allow the Word of God to richly dwell in you. Mainly, you, you have your Bible. I keep holding up my iPad. But you, you have your Bibles, right? Whether it's on an electronic device or whether it's a physical copy, you have your Bibles. And there's no place, I would say, to begin other than reading your Bible. But, but it helps to have commentaries. It helps to have people teach us. It helps to be in small groups. I tell you, our small group, what we've been doing for the last year, I would say, is we take a Bible book and we read a chapter a night in our small group and home groups. We read a chapter a night and we just break it down into, into to its segments. And then we say, what do you think? What's God saying to us? What does this mean? How does this apply to our life? Listen, there's so many avenues. Get the Word of God inside you until it dominates your thinking and dominates your behavior. Talk about it, quote it, but most importantly, live it. Number four, to follow Jesus, we must be willing. And by the way, Emily, that's what everybody told me you talked about yesterday. So I don't know if I'm saying the same thing or not. But uh, if I am, if Emily did say that yesterday, ladies, God is saying something to you. Allow the word of God to richly, richly dwell in your lives. Number four, to follow Jesus, we must be willing to leave whatever else we have uh, been following behind. Immediately they left the boat, their boat and their father and they followed him. So I'm going to illustrate this. I'm going to ask Micah and Serena and Dietrich if they'd come up here and help me with a little illustration. So I want you to pay attention, all right? So guys, come on up here and help me with a little illustration. All right? So here's what I'd like you guys to do. Uh, Micah, you and Serena, you be the lead. And, and Dietrich, you follow your dad and your sister, Okay? Follow your dad and your sister. That's all you got to do, Dietrich. Follow your dad and your sister. <laughs> That's good enough, Serena. I thought that up on my own, and I thought that was a visible illustration of the problem, right? The problem is that if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to stop following other stuff, right? Because you can't follow Jesus and something else if they're going in different directions. Dietrich could follow for a couple of feet, but when Serena went that way and Dad went that way, you know, Dietrich has to make a choice. I cannot follow them both. Now notice what, notice what Matthew identifies that they left behind when they followed Jesus. They, they left two significant things. Their boats and in John and James's case, their father. Why these two things? I think boats represents their career, the way they took care of themselves, and their father represented significant relationships in their life. To follow Jesus, he has to take precedent over both of those things. He has to take precedence over our careers, and he has to take precedence over the most important relationships in our life. Jesus used to say things like this, you've got to love me more than your father and your mother. Sometimes God calls us, and, and when he calls us, he, he, and you begin to follow him, he may need, he's basically, hey, you've got to leave that career. you got to, or maybe he's going to say this, listen, you've got to leave that career because I want you to go overseas, and I want you to, to be a, a global worker. Or maybe it's not a global worker, I want you to leave that job because I want you to move to the city and help plant a church in the inner city. And there's all kinds of things that, that, that Jesus may be calling us to leave in order to follow him. 
Now, most of us, are, it's not going to be that dramatic for us, right? We're not going to have to die to our, to our parents or to our children um, or to our careers. But Jesus is saying this, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to prioritize me over these things that are just so valuable to you. Following isn't easy. I mean, following takes humility and it's risk and it takes your attention and your awareness and your guts. It means serving someone else's agenda over yours. Listen, following Jesus, the main thing you've got to leave behind is your own agenda and your own self-will. And you've got to say, I'm willing Jesus to submit to you. And it is hard. It is hard. We're going to wrestle with it our entire lives, I believe. You will wrestle with that your entire life. That doesn't mean it won't get easier. It doesn't mean that you won't have less failure. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you're going to always wrestle with the, the selfishness of me until the day Jesus liberates us from that forever. I end this point with uh, just summarizing. I'm going to go to Luke, and I want to summarize how Luke... I want to use Luke's summary after he'd done the fish thing, or after Jesus done the fish thing, and he told them to follow him. This is what Luke says that they did. They left everything and followed Jesus. So I'm just telling us, hey, listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, there's a sense in which we have to leave everything. Okay? And then finally, the last one. He commands us to be on mission uh, with himself. All right? Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. So following Jesus means you subject every, uh, everything in your life to his leadership. Uh, you forsake what he wants you to forsake. You, you pursue what he wants you to pursue or prescribe. And in this case, he's prescribing for all of us who follow him that we must be on the same mission that he's on, which is that we need to be fishing for men. And, um, it seems to me that since, and I'll be honest with you guys, this is where I started this talk. I wanted to talk about this line, but I, I, I couldn't just jump to it. We have to talk about all those other things too that pre, precede this. But he says, I want you to be on mission with me. An essential part of being his disciple, of being a follower, is that you're on mission with him and you're fishing for men. Now let me be quick to say this, and you, you don't have to agree with me, I, but, but I, I think Jesus could have used any analogy here. He could have, listen, if the disciples had been hunters, I think he could have said, hey, you need to, you need to come. What, what does he say? He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I think he could have said if they were hunters, follow me and I'll make you hunters of men. Follow me and I'll make you trappers of men if that's what they did for a living, if they trapped or they hunted, right? I, I think he chose fishing because that was their profession. And so what he's saying is, hey, in your life, your life's ambition has been to fish and to catch fish, to sell and to eat. I'm telling you, I want your life ambition now to be to fish for men. I want you to change your life ambition. I want you to be about my kingdom's work. And I want us to be out here seeking to grow the kingdom by reaching men and women boys and girls for the king. I think that's what he's telling them. The very last thing Jesus told his disciples before returning to heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's what I think that means. Go and fish in all the nations. Go and fish in all the nations, baptizing them in the name, baptizing them, teaching them as I've commanded you, teaching them all that I've commanded you, and I'm going to be with you to the end, and we've got this. And so when, when Jesus told him to fish for men, I, I don't think he meant anything metaphorically beyond just, hey, guys, prioritize the kingdom work of reaching men and women over fishing. But having said that, 
Having said that, let me just say there's a lot of analogous details to fishing that I think go along with us reaching men. So let me just give you a few of them and then I'll be done, all right? So if we're going to prioritize fishing for men, let's, let's take some analogies for fishing. You have to go to where the fish are. You have to go to where people are. You don't catch fish in a barrel unless it's at a circus or at a, at a carnival, right? You have to go to where the fish are. Well, this is true of fishing for men. If we're going to fish for men, if we're going to prioritize reaching men, we have to go to where men are and people are. And the good news is that they're all around us. We don't have to go very far. They're all around us. At the same time, there are fish that are in other parts of the world. There's men in other parts of the world that there's nobody fishing in those ponds, right? Because there's no disciples, maybe. This is definitely true generations ago. And so God is telling us, hey, you got to go to all the nations of the world and fish for men. Go to where the people are. And by the way, next Sunday, we're going to have someone come and share with us uh, from that perspective. So I hope you'll come back for that. So number two, here's another analogous part of the fishing metaphor that I think that we could apply to our fishing for men. And it would be this. If you're going to fish for fish, you've got to bait the hook or cast the net. You've got to do one of those two things. Too often, I think that we think fishing for men, that the fish are going to, I mean, that the men are going to jump in the boat, that the fish are going to jump in the boat. Of course, as soon as I, I thought that in my head, I remembered the video where some guy's driving through the lake and there's some weird fish that's just jumping up out of the water. Have y'all seen it? And they're jumping in the boat, hitting the people in the face. Well, I'm telling you what, that isn't around here. I don't know where that is, but it isn't around here. And, and Dick's our consummate fisherman. No, no offense to anyone else. Did, ever, did you ever jump in the boat? Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm going to mix metaphors a little bit. When my, my dad was an avid hunter. He loved to hunt. I mean, he did his whole entire life. Um, and none of us, none of his kids, none of his boys got it. But dad had it. But he got up in age. He got up in age. I'm talking about maybe early 80s, late 70s. And now he loved to get ready for the hunt. I mean, Friday he'd start talking about it, and, and you know, and he would just be getting all his stuff together. And then, you know, in his old age, Saturday would come when the time came for the hunt, and something would happen. Dad couldn't go. He didn't feel didn't feel like going or something. This happened quite a bit, you know. And it was neat to watch Dad, you know, be happy pre- preparing for the hunt. But you know what? If my dad never went hunting, he won't ever going to get another deer. If he never went out there in the woods with his gun to shoot deer, to find deer, he was never going to get a deer. I want to tell you, unless we're actually fishing for men, we're never going to get a man. We're never going to lead a man. I shouldn't say never. I mean, God can do all kinds of things. to He can use us when we're not willing. But, but if we're going to be fishers of men, we've got to actually fish everyone. Not just talk about it. Not just talk about how important it is. We've got to actually do it. We've got to actually fish. Here's a third one. We've got to catch them before we try to clean them. That might seem obvious, right? That you catch the fish and then you clean them. But when it comes to fishing for men, so often we want to clean the men before we catch them. And we've got to stop doing that, man. Men and women, we've got to stop doing that. In other words, we, we need to lead people to Jesus before we expect their moral behavior to be different. You know, I mean, we live in two worlds, right? And then this is, this is Veterans Weekend. Yesterday was Veterans Day. I think it was yesterday. It was Veterans Day. And so we live with, with the, we live with the foot, if you would, kind of in two worlds. We're part of the kingdom of God. And there's no question as to where our loyalty needs to be, right? This is it. We are first and foremost of the kingdom of Jesus. But we live in America, so we have a foot in this world. And so, and we're thankful for our veterans that have, that have helped, you know, um, 
that have helped fight for, for our country to give us freedoms and that sort of thing. But, but here's my point. There's a difference between these two. And we live in America, but we have a tendency to think all Americans ought to act like Christians. All Americans ought to be looking like Jesus, being transformed into his image. And they're not going to be. We, we, don't, we don't clean the fish before we catch them. We lead them to Jesus, and then we let Jesus begin to clean them up. We let Jesus begin to change them and modify their behavior and, and, and make them like himself. And we support that. You know, we're the trellis. I'm probably going to use that forever. But we're the trellis, not just, not just supporting in the suffering, but we're, as this fledgling, this fledgling branch begins to grow in the vine, we need to be the trellis that helps that branch grow, right? But, but we don't start by trying to clean people up. And in fact, I think when we, we you know, and don't read more into what I'm saying here. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm saying just, we, we just got to recognize that, especially as our culture is changing, people aren't going to be like Jesus. More and more, they're not going to have his morality. They're not going to live like him. We need to recognize that. And we need to lead them to him and let him begin to change their lives and heart. And then, and then finally, focus on fishing often rather than on how many you catch. Now, I don't go fishing often, but every time I go fishing, I tell you, I have a hope of catching something. It doesn't happen all that often, in my opinion, but I have that hope. I noticed the other day, Dick, you caught the biggest fish you'd ever caught. Is that right? One, yeah. Oh, one time. Okay. He wasn't the biggest one, though. Okay. <laughs> I thought he was the biggest one. Dick had this picture of this big old fish. And, and here was my thought on that. You know, Dick fishes a lot. And you know, you don't get a big fish. You don't get the biggest fish every time, you know? In fact, I don't know if it's ever happened to Dick, but sometimes you go fishing, if you take me along, and you won't catch nothing, okay? Because <laughs> I'm a fishing jinx. But uh, you won't catch anything. But, but when you go out and you have this hope of catching, but you don't always catch something, and you definitely don't always catch the prize fish when you go, when you go fishing. But a good fisherman knows the potential. And a good fisherman's fishing because he wants to catch fish and because he wants to catch the prize, right? The big, the big trophy. But, he, but if he doesn't, he still keeps his, his heart set on fishing. And that's what I'm trying to say here about fishing for men. You know, it's, we don't measure how successful we are at, at leading people to follow Jesus. Although I think we should, like Paul said, he did everything he could to persuade people to follow Jesus. We need to be the best fishers of men we can be following this analogy, right? But, but at the end of the day, we're just being faithful to fish. And, and, God, and God has a big say-so in what happens in a person's heart. He's the one that's doing all the things that we sang about just before I came up here about preparing the heart and working in the heart and, and convicting the heart, all of those kind of things. So the Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. You had a different analogy, different metaphor, but still same idea. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Paul's point in that passage in, Corinth, in, in Corinthians is, that, hey, I got my part, but I just trust God for the results. And that's what I want to say to you about fishing for men. In his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said this, when will the church learn this lesson? Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but it's someone. It's someone. That's you and me. 
Now, I've heard this said, I'm done, so just hang in there with me. Focus for just a moment. I've heard this said a number of times by different people, but that Jesus' ministry was divided into three stages. In the first stage, with his disciples. In the first stage of his his ministry was come and see. Come and see. And maybe you're in that come and see stage of the ministry of Jesus. I mean, he's been, you're, you're coming, you're here because you want to see. Because you want to learn more about Jesus. Halfway through his ministry, it kind of changed. It went with his disciples from come and see now to come and die with me. Remember this? If any man wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I think Jesus was saying at that point, hey guys, it's time to be committed to me. It's time to be fully in this with me. And then at the end of his ministry, as he, before he sends to heaven, he basically says, go and tell. So the third stage of his ministry was, go and tell. And so my question to all of us this morning is, what stage are you in? What stage of those three stages would you be in? Maybe you're here, like I said a moment ago, you're just, you're just in the come and see kind of stage. And, uh, and if you're in the come and see kind of stage, I'm, in, I'm glad you're here. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, if you're in the come and see, I'm glad you're here on Sunday morning. That's a great place to come and see. Is Jesus really who we claim him to be, right? Um, get your Bible. Get your Bible. The first four books of the second half of your Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all about the life of Jesus. Just, just read about him. Read about him. Come and see, right? Jesus was so extraordinary. This guy that, that when, you know, who says, come and see, then he says, come and die with me and for me. I mean, he's, he was more than just your typical rabbi. I mean, he was someone who uh, said to the winds and the waves, be still, and they were still. I mean, he said to the demons, flee, and they fled. He said to diseases, be gone, and they were healed. He said to the dead, rise up, and they came back to life. The Bible says that everything that's been created was created by him, and everything that exists, exists because of him. And by his death, we are saved. There's no equal to him. Jesus deserves more than just a casual, listen, Jesus deserves more than just casual association with himself. He deserves so much more than just uh, an irregular attendance at our gatherings on Sunday. He deserves so much more than that. He deserves for us to abandon our lives and say, yes, I will be your disciple. Yes, I will be your learner. Yes, I will follow you. That's what he deserves from us. And so he's inviting us from the come and... If you're the come and see stage, that's wonderful. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He's inviting you to move to the second stage of come and and die with me. Come die for me. Come give your life to me. And then, of course... You know, uh, he's inviting us to that third stage of uh, go and tell. So this morning, and I'm, so this morning, if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, I want to invite you to that. I want to invite you to be a disciple of Jesus and not just wear the label Christian. And again, nothing wrong with Christian. We use that label. I get it. I get it. But remember, that's not the label the New Testament, the two New Testament put on his followers. His followers were disciples. His followers were learners from him. His followers were followers. So I want to invite you to be a follower 
this morning. So if you say, hey, Jimmy, I don't know how to be a follower. Here, here's how you be a follower. You just in your heart, where you sit right now, this morning, just say to him, I want to be a follower of yours, Jesus. I want to be a disciple. Thank you for inviting me to follow you. Thank you. I, I want to follow you and follow him. So let's bow our heads, and I'm just going to give you an opportunity right there where you sit. There's nothing, nothing, um, there's just no magical prayer to pray. There's no, mad, there's no specific formula of words you have to say. Just in your heart say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Say it to him. Pray. Talk to him. Say, I want to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. Now, now teach me to follow you. Teach me to be like you. Would you do that right now? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.